Welcome, comrades, to the Comfortable Podcast, a weekly look at all things Spurs in a time it takes you to walk from seven sisters to White Hart Lane. Don't forget, you can follow everything Cock and Ball on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Cock and Ball underscore pod. I'm Tom, aka Fenn. I'm your premiere for this evening. And our commissar for the Committee for Labour and Social Problems is Ashley. Good evening. And our commissar for the Committee of Medium Machine Building. Yeah, that's true. It's Jules. How are the lads? <laughs> And our comments are for the Committee of State Security, listening to all we say and keeping us firmly within the uh, proletariat. It's Jim. <laughs> Evening. Those are all genuinely old Soviet Union state committees, by the way. As you can tell, um, it is the international break, which means Spurs aren't playing, which means we are scrambling around for content. Um, well, the weather's been a bit hit and miss, isn't it? I'm going to go straight in there with uh, something to arouse Jules. Uh, this is a stat that, that me and Ashley came across. <laughs> Did you know that 75% of Spurs' goals have come about following a Hoybier tackle? Oh. Apparently that's true. Did you know well, that? It's, it's tackle, pass or interception. Oh, really? That yeah. is so tasty. Oh. Either way, either way, it just shows who's like who's who's the founding block of the team at the moment, isn't it? Jim is right. He's the you know they're already looking like an amazing signing. Um, brings brilliant balance to the team, and you know, un- understandably, you know, he's he's become a crucial cog in Mourinho's outfit. And um, I saw on his Instagram that he was away with in uh, with the Danish national team, and all I can hope is that he's now resting up and getting ready for. Um, some busy weeks with some big games where holding mids are going to be really important. Yeah, as long as he wasn't anywhere near some sort of mink farm, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> um, as it appears this evening, uh, I know this doesn't work very well in an audio-only format, but we're all wearing football shirts. Isn't that good in our football pod? <laughs> um, Jim, what are you wearing there? This is uh, Stockport County 2000 and. 12-13, I think. Home kit. Never heard it's quite of boring. <laughs> Neither have I. What is the, what, what's the roguest kit of Stockports that you've got? Have you ever gone really out there? Have they done something like particularly random? Yeah. For the last uh, couple of decades, they've all been quite normal. And they've been, you know, like fairly standard football shirts. They had some great ones in the 90s. And there was one that was, I actually got it because it was, yeah, everybody does it, don't they? You get your shirt from the yeah, you were born or whatever. And there's one in 93, 94 that they had made out of a particular roll of material. And it's like really garish blue and white with red. And it's it's got almost like a lightning effect. But it was all made from this roll of material was huge. So they made thousands of shirts out of this single piece of material. And what cost, it meant was... Cost efficient. That's the, the, the north of England, they know how to do it. I tell you what, they, they know how to make it around. <laughs> well, it was just, it just meant that it. every kit is unique because there was this pattern. So that's cool. at any point, that wherever the cut was taken, it meant that every time the kit was unique. So I've got I that mean, one, which is, is probably the loudest. I remember um, Palmer did a kit a couple of years ago and it was... Um, it looks sort of uh, almost like grey, kind of like 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 a speckled grey colour. But in fact, it's like in tiny font. It's every season ticket holder's uh, name. Nice. Um, yeah. It's just like absolutely minuscule. 
and it's a re- that's it's a, a really- GDPR nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I'm I'm sat somewhere glitching trying to count that. Um, but- well, it's funny. I don't want to make it a stockport thing, but I was looking at some of the lists online of best kits and worst kits that people have put together, mainly just because I'm interested in what other people think. And one that came up a few times is one of the best kits ever was Stockport's kit from the early '80s that was blue and white stripe. Searching this on a Stockport fan forum by any chance? No, no, it was, it was. I think it was. I think it might have been. I think it was four four two. It was either four four two or ESPN. Um, and it was. Uh, it's blue and white stripes, but it was that year light blue, and it was basically modelled on the Argentina kit. Ah. The kit itself isn't that interesting, but they had to drop it mid-season because the Falklands War started. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of, well, I mean, I like the idea that, I mean, I like the the one that you mentioned, though, from your your birth year with the um, kind of, it's all from one roll of fabric. I always think kits that should have got a little bit of a sort of heritage or something, something behind the design's quite nice. Um, As you can see, I'm sporting... Marseille 2019, um, which I like because the design is meant to uh, mimic the the Velodrome Stadium. So the 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 pattern of like the shingling and stuff from the outside, and um, that's where it comes from. It also has no logo on the front, which I quite like. It makes it look a bit kind of retro. For the yeah. benefit of our viewers, as in listeners, as in they can't quite see it. It looks <laughs> like a rippling swimming pool in a sort of grey afternoon. That's how I'd describe it. What a stunning description. Absolute <laughs> wordsmith. It's a, uh, I know it's, it's, a, it's a Puma kit as well. And Puma, they do quite a lot of nice designs. They, they seem to get it right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It hasn't got a, a sponsor on it because I'm not one of those people that's so Puritan about it that hate sponsorship. If a sponsor looks good, I think it's fine. But there are some, t- some cases where you get a really nice kit and a terrible sponsor, and it just ruins it. It's funny you say that about a sponsor, because when we put out to our followers on Facebook and Twitter about their favourite shirts, whether that be Tottenham or, or otherwise, a lot of them recognise the shirt from the sponsor. So the amount of times we got, oh, it's the Adidas one with the Holston on it, or, or whatever, or the, the Thompson yeah. shirts, it's still, they are quite, they do become an important part of the shirt when they're done right. Yeah. E- equally, when they're done wrong. Um mm. I, I mean, my I'm sort of sp- spoiling my uh, uh, my own list here, but the shirt which I hate the most made by another club is the Barca 2013 one because it was the first year when Qatar Airways sponsored uh, Barca, and for them to go from UNICEF to Qatar, I mean that's a that's a fucking big drop. Let's be honest, like yeah. Why are you in that shirt? Oh, because I like it, Jim. This is, and, for the, um, and, for the, and for the audio audio medium that we're currently in, Jim, do you want to give a as an, as eloquent and poetic a description of Fen's shirt as you gave as he gave of mine? Uh, it is the Spurs kit from is it twenty? I can't remember what year it is. Uh, it is it's three the, four years ago. It's twenty sixteen, maybe. I think it's sixteen um, seventeen. The away kit with. Uh, gold lettering underarm. It's quite nice, actually. Jules, why are you pulling a face? I mean, you, you've come in here dressed as a chlorinated pool of water, <laughs> and you're pulling a face at what are, what is actually pure class. I've got Alderweireld on the back as well. 
I'm I'm pulling a face actually more at the um, I'm not such a fan of Under Armour kits and Puma's a, a bit guilty of this as well in that they make kits which are great if you're ripped but if you're anything other than like six pack level it can be a little tight in the wrong places mm. remember do you remember when all of Arsenal's squad like looked ripped for one season and it turns out they were just wearing Puma kits Basically, I just think Under Armour is a risky move for the average fan. It's great for the player, but for the average fan... Yeah, there's been a lot of dodgy sites on the Tottenham High Road because of Catherine Puma kits over the years. <laughs> See, I'm not the only one who thinks it, but I do like the gold trim on the sleeves, Fen. Well, I just like that it's got the gold trim around the, the neckline as well. And what I love about it is the, the manufacturer, the logo and the sponsor is all gold. Yeah, and then obviously blue is just you know it's a solid sort of blue. I love it, but yeah, it's so simple, and that's the big thing for me. I'm a really big fan of simple kits because they just work Dressed well when it's man. just two colours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two, re- two turn works. Yeah, what do you reckon, Ash? Because you're you're wearing a, a pretty uh, garish ensemble. I think is is maybe a fair word there. You look like that stretch of the M6. I am wearing my favourite Tottenham shirt of all time, and that is the home shirt from 1985 to 87. At first sight, the, you know, the diagonal lines coming off the chevrons should not work, but I actually think it's a piece of art. Um, and famously, it's the shirt that Maradona played in when he, um, when he featured for Tottenham on one occasion. Do you know which match that was in? Uh, is it Ozzy Ardiles' testimonial or something? It was. Bonus points if you can tell me the score and uh, at least one of the two Tottenham scorers. I don't know. 4-2. It was 2-1. Goal scored my from Mark... <laughs> yeah, all of our times. Uh, it was 2-1. Goal scored from Mark Falco and Clive Allen got us a late equaliser. And it was quite a team, to be fair. We started off with Clements in goal. Roberts, Hewton, Mabbott, Miller... Uh, Galvin, Ardiles, Falco, Clive Allen, and this is just ridiculous. Maradona and Hoddle up front. That's a ridiculous <laughs> lineup. Did you say uh, Ray Clements was in goal? For that? Yes, what, yeah. what a legend. Uh, rest in peace, rest Mr. In Clements. Peace, yeah. Yeah, I did manage to, I was fortunate enough to meet him once, and he, he was a lovely bloke. He was, I think it must have been around post 2003 because Stephen Clements' son was playing for Birmingham City at the time. It's, Son Stephen used to play for Spurs, came for the academy, you might remember. Um, lovely bloke, he had massive hands. Funny that, as a, as a goalkeeper, but he just, you know, he just, someone has an air about them as just being quite genuine, quite a, a gentleman. And from what I've been hearing from other professionals, he, he truly was that. So uh, it's tragic news. Absolutely. I always think the, 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 the nicest kind of uh, um, sort of poignant moment that you get when you hear news like this is when ex-professionals and teammates speak out in the way that they have over the last you know week or so and you can tell what a what an honestly special character he was um because those are the people who would have known him known him the best i suppose and uh, from a professional standpoint anyway and i think their their kind of tributes are kind of testament to him in the in that that respect has anyone is, is there any tottenham shirts that we anyone would consider their favorites that we are yet to mention well, what I've got here, boys, is my trusty Spurs mug of Tottenham <laughs> shirts from 1882 up until a point. Um, quite, quite a nice mug, actually. But it's got a picture of every shirt, and they're predominantly 
white and yellow are, are your main themes here. Um, so you can pick them out if you want. And I, I should be able to see them. But it's well, I'm, glad this is be, audio only. <laughs> I'm going to be difficult for you here, Fen, because I'm going to give you um, a bit of a kind of a, a spinball. Um, my favourite Tottenham shirt will not be on that mug. Can you guess what Tottenham shirt that is? Is it a tour shirt? It is not. It is the... I'm going to get the year right here. Is it here. the anniversary one? No, it is the 2017 kit. Um, oh, it's not which, it goes to 2015 See, I'm <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean, I mean aside, aside from Fen's clear need to get some new crockery in his house um, the reason that I love that shirt so much is that I always think of shirts not just in terms of the design but also in terms of the people who played in them and 2017 was one our first year with the Nike sponsorship deal and it's like a lovely design really clear and sort of like minimalist kind of style and I always remember the like the tower blocks with the We Will Rise like logo, I think, was like up up the sides with uh, Deli Ali and Harry Kane. Um, I loved like the shirt and the design, but that was also for me like my favourite year of Poch. Like that was when I think we were we were genuinely the best that I remember us being. It's uh, interesting you say that, Jules, because I was thinking only before that uh, just from looking at some of those lists that people have put together of best shirts of all time. People look at the occasion more than the design, like you just said. And uh, England 66 comes up quite often as the best shirt of all time. It's very obviously not the best kit of all time. It's plain red. <laughs> it's really quite boring, but people think of it as great. Mm. Um, and it's like it's like um, another one is the United 99 shirt. That's just um, it's quite plain. It's a sharp shirt. And it, there's nothing particularly special about the kit, but it's the year they won the treble. So they think of it fondly because they remember the time more than the the design necessarily. Um, was, and you saying that about about the 2017 kit for Spurs is, is exactly the same point, I think. Like the, the kit itself is quite plain, really, but um, but it's something you think of fondly. It's funny also that in the on the social media. Um, post that we put out, and quite a lot of them came back from the FA Cup final shirts and the UEFA Cup final shirts, which are you, you could argue they are simple and elegant and they are beautiful. But I think the most um, the, the most prevalent reason why people feel so uh, emotionally attached to it is because of the occasions. Um, yeah, I mean the only other one that that comes to mind that's come up a lot was the Admiral shirt that uh, I think everybody would think of Hoddle as soon as they think of it. It's just pure white with just a really satisfying collar with the Admiral logo over the over the shoulders and, and down the neckline. That That's come up a lot. And I think that's quite a... Uh, I'd like to see us try and remake that somehow. And if, if there was a shirt, you know, so we're talking about shirts which are, which are associated with great players or players we've really loved watching in cup finals or great moments, what's the Spurs shirt that you associate with the worst memory? Or the worst player. <laughs> there, there were some real dire times in the noughties, I feel. Mm. The sort of... Juan Ramos mansion kit. Yeah, but up until <laughs> the arrival of Harry Redknapp. The, I didn't like mansion as a logo. It was one of those sponsors that just really didn't work. Albeit they were quite simple kits under Puma. Not that it would fit in them. They had a really good third kit in uh, 07, 8. The, the black kit. Um with a bit of gold trim and, and some white stripes down the side of one of the arms. It, it was an odd one, 
but it, it worked really well. Um, but there, there were some of the kids like the, the some of the Kappa ones remind me of some absolute drivel. But at the same time, <laughs> um, when I look at the Kappa kids, I think of people like Edgar Davids. Yeah. And it, it gets me yeah a little bit excited about the fringes of <laughs> talent that our club was able to offer at the time. Mm. Oh, it's, it's around that time, though, interestingly, um, that my, not because it reminds me of anybody in particular, but my least favourite Spurs kit is the 2009 one with the yellow, the white kit with yellow stripes oh, yeah. either side. Yeah, oh, found that on just, the mug. Yeah, awful. awful. <laughs> is that the year, of a Leeds kit and that the year we way. qualified for the, for the Champions League for the first time? Well, that's I, I associate that that kit as being absolutely disgusting. But when mm-hmm. Peter Crouch has just nodded in at the near post off a Yunus Kabul cross and is charging away down at the city of Manchester Stadium, you know how can how can you have a negative emotion connected with that? For me, that's you know the the strength of the the moment overpowers the disgusting nature of the kit. That's it. I found it really hard to come up with a worse kit, not because Tottenham have only ever had great kits over the years, but because every kit has its own memory with it, whether that be a memory of a player or an occasion or an event. I should hate the green kit from the Champions League run, but it's obviously held a special place um, for that reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah. if, you t- if you told me that green kit, I just I can only think of Mora pointing at the sky. Absolutely. Hopefully we can create a nice memory out in this season's home kit because it's not great, is it? <laughs> yeah. I've got a real problem with night kits in general, despite Jules's admirations. When they first arrived, I always seem to notice it. If you look at our home kit, compare that to Liverpool's home kit, and as has been shown through the years, Chelsea's home kit, they're exactly the same. Mm. Just the colour changes. Yeah. There's no uniqueness to it. Yeah, uh, And that makes me quite sad i don't just want to be uh just photoshop like just sort of logo on this and it'll be fine with it's the higher echelons of football we should be doing our own thing instead of just sewing on a cock on a ball onto a shirt i have to say my favorite outside of spurs actually is quite a unique one because i can't think of many teams which have gone for this color um i love the the ajax away kit from this year it's um beautiful yeah and it's like it's like a sort of i know it's a, it's a grey, but there's like a sort of a texture to it, and it's what... um, TV static. Yes, you know when you have no channel. You TV static, it's that, isn't it? They patched it in a kit, but in classic Ajax fashion, very stylish. Um, fun fact that the Ajax uh, badge is made up of eleven lines, and it's made up of eleven lines to symbolise eleven players on the pitch all being unified together. And when they put that on that TV static kit, that just screams. That's going to be unwrapped at Christmas in the Delay family household in a size medium. <laughs> I'm waiting a month and that's it. The Dutch know how to do kits, don't they? I think you could pick just any Holland international home kit as your favourite ever kit, uh, especially the one in 88. I don't even know how to describe it for listeners, which is great. <laughs> but it's just it's the orange with, the, with, with white and it's sort of like triangles within triangles. Um, I mean, if you look for Frank Reichard in Holland, you'll, you'll find it straight away. Um, it is an absolute thing yeah. of beauty. I always see an annoying amount of um, seven-a-side teams where clearly, like, four of them have gone out and be like, oh, we're going to do total football and wear it. <laughs> <laughs> and the that other... sounds like something you would do. <laughs> well, 
I wouldn't put it past <laughs> me, but the thing is that the other three people they're usually playing with are wearing, and it's really hard to find an orange T-shirt. So they've got some kind of disgusting orange garment on. And as soon as you see a miscollection of kits at that level of seven-a-side football, you just know you're going to kick the crap out of them because they clearly <laughs> asked for it. I was going to say, uh, Ash, you mentioned the Dutch being good at kits. I think your countrymen are as well. My favourite kit of all time is the Sampdoria 91 kit, which is anyone that doesn't know it, like, have a look. It's it's blue, but then it's got a chest band across. It's white. I think it's, from memory, it's white, black, and is it? I can't remember. Is it red the other colour? I can't remember. Yeah, but it, yeah. But it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's just gorgeous. Um, it was the one that used to be worn by um, Mancini, Manchester. Viali. And yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just iconic. I mean, I, when I was looking, I found that literally you could pick out any shirt from before 1995 in Italy. Uh, Juve, Inter, Milan, Roma, Lazio, Parma, Fiorentina. They've all had amazing shirts. I mean, I absolutely love the old Fiorentina one with the Nintendo uh, mm-hmm. logo. That is a thing back in the uh, Batistuta days. Absolute thing of beauty. <laughs> thing, thing with any shirt from that era, though, is that and I don't know if you guys have, have ever bought any retro shirts. Let's just put it this way. I wouldn't say the fit is quite as well cut as it is on a modern shirt. No. What about you, uh, Fen? What's yours? I have a, a strange affiliation to Juve shirts, particularly from the 90s. And I think I'm biased because I think someone just I had growing up a Del Piero shirt. I don't really know why, because obviously at that at the age of six, I didn't really know what that was. Um <laughs> Until I, I kind of that. looked into it a bit more, <laughs> but um, there, there's a real simplicity about their shirts at the time, and it, it worked. It was classic. It was it was them. It was their identity. It was so obvious that it was a Juve shirt, and I really admire that. Uh, apart from that, the Nigeria shirts of late have all been yeah. fantastic. Again, I talk about that identity. They seem to capture that for Nigeria. The, the, the uses of the green and the patterns that they put on them. They're not just random. They're, they're still quite nice to look at. I love them. Same with Mexico, actually. They do really good iconic kits as well. They usually sort of nod to like Aztec temples and stuff. But um, but they've also yeah. got... Mexico have got the perfect like edgy sort of uh, player to kind of to kind of model them. I always Whenever I see um, a Mexico kit with Dos Santos in it, that man just <laughs> always looks cool. And that was that was why I quite liked the Spurs shirt of what was it, 2008, the black one, I think it was the away yeah. shirt, the yeah, year yeah. that we signed him and Bale. And that, that yeah. when you got when you got the right guy modelling it, it'll always look good. And that's why mm-hmm. we put Deli Alley in front of the camera every time that we have uh, uh, we've got a photo shoot coming our way. Something else that makes kids nicer these days is in in the time where it takes you a a week's wages to pay for a nice shirt. Um, I want to have an honorary mention to the England reversible shirt. Probably the last truly value for money shirt. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say it was nice or not. Has anyone got a, an all-time shocker? Yes, I do. Um, and I will have to post it on Twitter and Facebook later. Uh, because, again, it's it's beyond words. It's the, <laughs> 19, it's the 1993 Coventry shirt, um, which features... The, the simple part of it is a Vauxhall Conway logo in the middle. Um, but it is, <laughs> it's blue with um, other shades of blue, red and white, uh, all mixed in with just a completely undiscernible pattern. I'll try and show 
oh, you wow. guys there. I will post it later. It's just the most disgusting thing. It looks um, like Christmas wrapping paper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's that any Norwich shirt ever is probably the worst kids. Mm. <laughs> it's spe- speaking of yellow, um, special mention for Newcastle away 2009-10. Um, two shades of yellow that just looks like somebody's stamped repeatedly on a banana and gone, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was grim. It was so, so horrible. I hate that Barca shirt that was um, orange on top and then it faded to yellow. Yeah, like power, like PowerPoint fade. Yeah, fairly recent, and that, that was shite. Actually, there was something nice um, that was put to us on our Facebook discussions about this, about the intricities of football shirt design, which was actually yeah. rather eloquent. Yeah, it was in um, reference to the, uh, the kit I said is my favourite, the home kit from 85, and um, it goes like this. As a designer, the 85-87 home kit is, in my opinion, the best kit design of all time. The use of the line thickness to create tones in the unique way that the Hummel had arranged them looks stunning both in action, colour, black and white photos as well. The original Holston logo in its uniform rectangular form and retro font perfectly complemented the stripe in the same colour, be that in the navy print or the violet. Then there are three number designs on the back, which again added to the kit's many facets, as the Davinic and the Raglan style, which I personally love in general. Add to it the silky look, giving it the luxurious shine that modern kits lack, probably because the sponsors don't want their precious logos obscured. For me, this is a standout kit and the envy of many a uh, non-Spurs fan. Other team variants like the 85 Denmark version and modern copycats just don't compare. So thank you to whoever put that on, uh, on Facebook. I think I will echo that nothing to me says Spurs other than the block text of Holston. Yeah. <laughs> written on the front of a shirt anyway that's not the only thing that's been going on because kit's been going on for well years it is an international break uh, which means international games are happening which means Tottenham players are playing somewhere uh, one strange t- topic of uh, conversation is England's answer to Paul Pogba which is Harry Winks uh, <laughs> it seems to be having more minutes uh, than he has all season um, Jules are we seeing a, a return to form for our homegrown hero or is he simply putting himself in the shop window it can be a bit of column A, a bit of column B to, to steal one of Jim's <laughs> phrases. Um, no, I think look, he's a he definitely has his uh, you know his benefits, Winks, and he's he's a he's a tidy technical player. I think he's certainly looked good for England, and he's been I've noticed coming off the bench for Spurs in the last sort of few games, he's seemed a bit more progressive in his passing. I think maybe it's a bit of a kick up the backside that he needs to kind of do a little bit more than kind of the simple safe things because. At, at points over the last two years with a sort of vacuum of talent in that area of the pitch for us, he's been able to get away with playing 90 minutes week in, week out by just sort of circulating the ball across the back four. I do wonder whether he was he, he stood out for England over this international break less because he was brilliant and more because England was shite. Yeah, I mean, England aren't exactly pe- playing, uh, you know, progressive, enjoyable football. So... <laughs> When you compare him to what Declan Rice is offering with the ball at the moment, I think I think everyone can can kind of look look a little bit better. There was a strange moment at half time in the Belgium game where I put in the group chat between you guys that I think I think this game needs winks, which is never <laughs> something I'd never thought I'd hear me say. And to fairness to to Jim and Jules, it's when yeah yeah I agree. Ash didn't agree because he was watching Italy. <laughs> but him coming on, I know Anderson had an injury anyway, but he kind of 
the ball got moving up the pitch better, and then in the final third, it all went to shit anyway, which isn't actually Winks's fault. But I think with Winks though, the the, the key thing I liked what she was doing there, um, and I, I'm going to compare in this respect to Henderson and Rice. When you play a back three as a centre mid, it's an absolute coward's move to try and sort of drop in alongside the defenders because there's enough of them bloody there. Get out of their way. Like <laughs> you've, you've got to stay higher up the pitch in front of them and act as like a, an axis that allows you to kind of play the ball between the lines. My concern for Winks long term is that there's no one element on the, of his game that you'd say he excels at. Um, he's not particularly strong defensively, as we've seen of late. He's sort of just runs around like a headless chicken in defence. Um, he hasn't quite got the range of passing on a consistent basis that we'd like to see from a, uh, a playmaking midfielder. And in terms of box-to-box, box, he doesn't offer enough going forwards either. So it, it's great that he can offer something different, I suppose, to when you're playing two holding midfielders like Southgate's doing. But um, that's probably more about Southgate not having any sort of tactical nous whatsoever rather than Winks coming on and taking a game by the scruff of its neck. <laughs> At the risk of sounding like a bit of a football hipster, I'd like to see him model his game a bit more like Marcos Senna was. I don't know if you remember watching yeah, him as a player. Um, that's exactly the kind of player he should be modelling his game on. Um, and I, But I just don't see him having the, having the tools to do it. At our level, I think he'd be great for... Um, for a mid, a mid, for an Arsenal, <laughs> nobody's great for Arsenal. Yeah, a mid-tier team. I don't think he's he's really going to be pushing us. So that's the Arsenal get... selling, or would you not keep him for the use value of some sort of depth, as Jules was alluding to? <laughs> His value is that he's homegrown. Um, beyond that, if we can if we can make a decent whack out of him and bring in, I, I mean, I'd even see a John Joe Shelby in. Um, because realistically, that is a backup role um, for what we want. We need someone better than that, and there isn't an English centre mid better than that that we can go out and actually afford. For me, he's a nice uh, sort of he's a nice filler until Oliver Skip becomes good enough that Oliver Skip steps into the squad. And we probably sell Winks, and maybe at that point, Sizoko's old enough that he you know he might run out of his contract, something like that. Hopefully Oliver Skip comes in when he's at that level and he's getting rave reviews at Norwich, let's not forget, which is a you know, playing championship football at that age is impressive. I would certainly keep him till the end of the year and see how Skip develops. But long term, even even into next year, I'd like to see us upgrade on him and Sissoko. And similarly with, with Ali, I don't know if you've seen the news come out today that it looks like he's not part of um, Jose Mourinho's plans. That's not exactly new news, but I was going to uh, say, hasn't that been apparent for about two months now? Yeah, yeah. But again, I'd, we can upgrade on him. I still think we could still get probably. I know Levy would probably ask for fifty million. I still think we can get a European team to probably pay forty million euros for him. I think another thing as well is that he's probably at peak value at the moment. The longer yeah. he sits out and doesn't play a part in anything his value is only going down and he's not he's not old but he's not young anymore so it, it, in that respect he's he's he was at better value two two three years ago wasn't he there was a point where yeah yeah, not- yeah but that's gone like it, what i mean is his value isn't going to go up from this point mm. as long as he's not playing I, I still think it's a it's a shame because he's not um I, I still think he's a remarkably gifted player um i think he's he's 
clearly got some some flaws that have come into his game and fitness hasn't helped and it looks like his that hamstring is really looking problematic which is uh it's always sad when you see a young player start to pick up those kind of injuries there but yeah i still i i, I think maybe a loan move might be best if he can go on loan to a team in italy or or france and get get game time i think he can really show the talent he's still got i don't think he's become a bad player i don't think you go from that level and just drop off like that yeah i think i agree with jules more than us and jim potentially for me, watching Grealish on against Belgium really reminded me of Ali sort of two or three years ago, the way we were talking about how Grealish plays his game uh, and the effect he had in the England team. We were having that conversation with a player that we have uh, in our squad as it is. And I still think he can, he can find that because he's still only 24. I think if he goes on loan, he might be able to rekindle some sort of form. I think ultimately it will be a similar situation to... Um... Jose Mourinho's time at United with Pogba not in that Ali's causing any problems but it will be a case of who lasts longest will it be Jose Mourinho or will it be Deli Ali um, and I think that's a I think Levy will probably be hedging his bets and thinking is Jose Mourinho likely to bring us long-term success and if so I need to give him what he needs and get out what he doesn't but as Jules said last week as well when Jose first came in Ali was one of the first names in the team sheet and he, mm. he was picking up goals here, there and everywhere. Um, he rekindled some sort of fire, it, it seemed. There's no, well, maybe there is, but there should be no reason why he can't find it again. I will touch on some of the, the other appearances just very briefly of some of our other players. Um, Shizoko is in the French squad. Apparently he had a shocking first fixture, according to reports that I read, but <laughs> apparently he got an assist in, in the next game he played. And I, that was me thinking Suzuko assist was an oxymoron, but anyway. Um, the notorious GLC, the Chelsea was uh, playing for Argentina. He got an assist against Peru that I saw. He looks a lot fitter uh, and livelier, which is something to be excited about. Uh, and poor old Matt Doherty, um, <laughs> who came out the, this week or last week. I don't know if you saw that. He's, he's actually embarrassed to play for Ireland because they're so fucking bad. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, he, he's caught coronavirus. So he will be out of the City game. Um, I think he'll wish he caught COVID sooner. He could have missed playing for Ireland as well. Um, but I have just noticed that. Nonetheless. Yeah, I have just noticed that Davies isn't included in the Wales squad today. So I don't know if news will drop soon about whether he's caught something because he was involved in the same game, wasn't he? I think the Welsh FA come out and they they did say that everyone had been robustly tested and they were all fine, which. I do actually find strangely hard to believe, but uh, Joe Rodan actually looked all right uh, against. I know Ireland isn't very good test at the moment because their best player is a right back, and their second best player also happens to be a right back. Um, <laughs> but he, he did look smart in that game. I think the of the the guys that you just listed out there. Um, I think one thing that's interesting is how differently they're sometimes used for international duty than they are for their club. And uh, you mentioned the Sissoko. He had a hilarious gaffe in the first game, but that's because he was playing holding mid in a rotated team. And the one thing you don't want that man doing is picking the ball up off the back four. Um, in the second game, he reverted to where France have used him very effectively for most of the last decade, actually, which is playing as a sort of right winger, but just kind of a tucked in juggernaut um, and playing, <laughs> playing top midfielders <laughs> a bit behind. And it's, but honestly, like, you know, the. Top midfielders. But the <laughs> <laughs> but the, the reality is, you know, some of these players, the best way that they're, you know, the smartest international managers recognise, I, I think, that they have to be creative in how they can use these 
these mm. players because at international level you can't just you know do what's happening with Ali and say well I'm not going to play him sell him get me another one which is a very club manager attitude but you look at how Deschamps has got so much out of people like Suzoko and you know Olivier Giroud is now the second all-time top goal scorer for France like when you think of the players they've had with Platini and Zidane and Henri and Trezeguet and the, you know some of the amazing teams they've had the fact that Giroud is now the second top goal scorer shows that Deschamps is, is doing what probably we will need to see more of a club level in COVID times, which is being smart about how to get the best out of your, your existing players in, in new creative ways. This will probably go out on the 19th of November. Am I right, Jim? Yeah, probably. Decent. The 19th of November marks the anniversary of uh, what uh, first fixture for Spurs? North London Derby. That is actually correct. So well done for uh, actually getting the <laughs> trivia this week. But can you guess the year? Does it have to count as them being in North London for it to be a North London Derby? That's a very good point, Ashley, because at this time, the first time we played Arsenal, there were, of course, the Woolwich. Mm. Um, anyone know the year? Uh, uh, 1904 or something. <laughs> is it pre-First World War? It's 1887, boys. Oh, oh, God. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the first game between Spurs and Arsenal. Spurs won 2 1. Do you know who scored? <laughs> no. Slips, slips of mind, mate. Oh, well. Was that, uh, was that an FA Cup game or something? No, it was a friendly, weirdly. It was oh, played right. on Tottenham Marshes, one of the last games Spurs played at Tottenham Marshes, their original home. The match was, <laughs> was actually abandoned after 15 minutes because. Arsenal turned up late and by that time it didn't have enough light but within 15 minutes we were already 2-1 up uh, no one actually knows who scored it was a trick question <laughs> no one kept a record of it so there we go 1887 19th of November uh, the first time we played and beat Arsenal all in 15 minutes so we've got City at the weekend uh, a daunting task uh, historically perhaps we're a little bit more buoyant now Jules what are you thinking? I'm feeling reasonably confident in that we're you know we're, we're in decent form and you know we don't have too many injuries at the moment I still think that at the moment I, I feel like City might go on a bit of a monster rampage for the next few weeks so I'm going to say a one-all draw and that we might get a penalty um, but I think the game's really going to be one on on the left hand the left hand side for us if we if we're going to get anything and Kevin De Bruyne likes to kind of overlap and sort of run beyond the fullback We've got a very attacking fullback and a very attacking left forward. So, you know, we're going to have to think how we combat that left flank. And I'll be interested to see what Jose does. Yeah, I think the midfield is going to be really important. Um, we've only really got Hoiberg in there that I can really trust. Fortunately, Lachelle is getting more minutes in and then Dembele is looking fitter as well. So if we're playing the two of those, we might be able to get some element of control. But I can see them dominating us. They do look beatable at the moment, but it's still shit my pants every time I think of De Bruyne anywhere near the box. So <laughs> I, I expect us to lose 2-1. I think the idea of having Son and Bale to deal with is, is going to give City a lot of problem, despite the fact that I think City will run the midfield. And the interesting thing about both of these sides, as they've shown this season, they've got a mistake in them, particularly defensively. I think there's a bit of positivity about Spurs at the moment that there just isn't about City. So it's obviously a tough... Um, a tough fixture and it'll be a reasonably 
uh, intense game, I think. But I I fancy Spurs to get something, so I'll, I'll go for the trusty Desmond 2-2. Fair enough. I, I'm going to... I was actually going to say that, Jim, so thanks for ruining my segment. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I, I mean, the way Jose sets up his team, Suzuko is going to start... We're going to have to rely on Suzuka just being a bit of a physical brute, uh, winning the ball back well with Hoybier, and hopefully Suzuka gives the ball to someone else to create some sort of attack. Uh, I, th- I think we'll, if they are playing quite a high line, which they are sometimes inclined to do, then we might see a touch of the, the Southampton game about it uh, and getting in behind. We'll see. That, that's the only way I can see us edging something out of this because their defence isn't all that. Um, but now Jim's still on my scoreline, so I have to pick a new one. Uh, should, we, should we go dramatic? Should we go you four could, three spares or something you bonkers? Can, you can go for two two. I'm not precious. <laughs> no, no, you, you have spoken. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, four three spares. Fuck it. It's, you know, anything could happen. <laughs> That's a cutting edge insight you need, isn't it? <laughs> Some goals may or may not be scored. Well, and on that accurate note of uh, football punditry, then. Let's bring this to a close. Thank you very much for listening. I'm glad you've listened to us cobble together content in an international break. It's always fun. Back to more Spurs fixtures uh, going forward into next week. I'll see you then. Bye.